This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora. welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rat. And today Ruth's going to be talking to Michaela Nyman about the first Vanuatu Women's Anthology of New Writing. And my guest is feminist Sue Kedgley, who's going to be with us at the Word Festival um, in late August. The program is just out and it's looking fantastic, and I'm sure many people will want to come to Sue's event. Christchurch, 2019. I felt like a runaway bride. Time gleefully prances on. It didn't have the eyes to see, or wait at least, for all the hugs I had to give. And the wheels drop, screeching. I breathe, Aterua. The cold pinches my nose, a greeting from the Alps. My children, my heart, are still not here. Immigration doors seem to be shutting slowly. Stress escalating. It is fun to build a tower. How long can I endure the separation? So unfair. Bang, bang, bang. A sound of weeping. Dark clouds fill the city. I don't know what it means. It doesn't happen in my country. I saw a young Muslim man. He looked like my son. I worked silently in front of my computer as I lay him down to sleep. I felt a sharp pain. It shocked me. A thief. My strength walked away. Left me lonely, helpless. Even water disliked me. My arms became pincushions. A pipe went down my stomach. The bed at the theater was almost ready. Too soon to leave again, circumstances dictate. But assurance of my return was given. So grateful for the relationships. It is temporary. I shall return. My papers are kept safely. And the wheels pack in the grace of God in flight. I arrive at my bosom home. Oh, the smile on my daughter's face. It was magic from afar. It healed my spirit so quickly. I didn't need another day. Catherine Nessa reading her poem in the new anthology of Vanuatu Women's Writing, and it's, the book is so beautiful. Sister, Stand Up Strong, edited by Michaela Nyman and Rebecca tulu Ulf hossen Welcome to the programme, Michaela. Thank you, Ruth. And uh, what a thrill you must have. Three generations of women in this book, and uh, nearly all of them are still living in Vanuatu, and the first one of its kind, and especially written to celebrate um, the coming of age, uh, 20, 20, 40 years since um, independence. That's right. And full of diverse topics, there's so much there. You've got it across racism, colonisation, misogyny, sexism. Gosh, the diversity is amazing. So you don't live in Vanuatu, you live in New Plymouth. Uh, How did you go about doing this with Rebecca? Well, well, uh, I lived in Vanuatu for four years. uh, Of course, yes. Between January 2012 and December 2015, including during the Cyclone Pan. So I was there and I was um, very much looking for uh, writers at the time since I'm 
a writer myself. And one of the early um, acquaintances was actually Catherine Lessa. We met through work. And only later did I discover that uh, Mildred Sorpe, who is one of the pre-independence uh, writers, um, that she was the aunt of Catherine. And so we started talking poetry. And uh, Catherine said that she and her aunt had written a profile of Barak Sope, who was the prime minister of Vanuatu in 1999. And um, uh, I asked, uh, well, why don't you write a profile of your aunt? Um, because here are all these women working to kind of write about the men and enhancing the men. And why don't you write about your amazing aunt who has been a businesswoman and a poet and, you know, published by Albert Wendt. And um, she said, hmm. And so later on, when I um, exhibited some poetry, I met Rebecca Tobo Olol Hossen. And that was just on the eve of Cyclone Pam in 2015. We were both uh, having poems and uh, writing exhibited at um, the Bastion Foundation in Portvila. And she read a piece uh, that was amazing. And I had a poem and a liner print on the wall. And so we looked at each other and realized, oh, you're a writer too. <laughs> yes. And uh, there's three three main languages, aren't there, in Vanuatu? I mean, English is more the edu- one in education, I presume. And um, But what about Bislam? Bislama? Are there are the well, writers writing in Bislama? Well, no. So you have over a hundred different languages in Vanuatu. So it's... Um, you know, incredibly rich in uh, linguistic diversity as well as uh, ethnic diversity. And you have then um, uh, the two colonizers were the French and the British. And after over 75 years of colonization, they had each imposed their own school system. And so English and French were the language of education. But in the Constitution, you actually have the three languages, Islama, English and French, as the official languages of Vanuatu. But Islama was never allowed to be used in schools. And uh, this has also meant that it has remained very much an oral language. And now with texting and everything, you know, it's um, spelled in myriad ways and, and shortened and so on. So it hasn't been a language of literature. So there's actually a few brave poets who have tried um, their hand at writing in both Bishlama and English. And it's their own translation in the book. So those who have written in Bishlama have actually written um, their poems and their contributions in English too. Yes, I noticed that. I thought that was really good um, to be doing that. So tell me... What was the process? Did you, were you ex- what were your expectations? How many poems did you expect to find and poets? And, you know, did you have expectations when you started the, the thinking, thought of doing a, an anthology? Yes. So uh, I've been um, um, conducting some PhD research into Nivanuati women's voices for quite some years. So I went to Vanuatu, went back to Vanuatu in 2017 and ran a creative writing workshop and started collaborating with um, some of these uh, writers I already knew and tried to find more because it couldn't possibly just be less than a handful of writers. And the most renowned writer, Grace Maramolisa, she died 
unexpectedly in early 2002. Um, she was a big poet and writer and um, did lots of advocacy for women's rights. And um, after her, there has been very few published writers. So I started working in collaboration, putting myself out there by writing a uh, novel about the aftermath of Cyclone Pam. And the novel called Shadow was um, released last year, right after lockdown in 2020. <laughs> yes, I, t- I, t- I talked with you about that, and it's an yeah. amazing novel. Um, so yeah. that, that was kind of like my invitation. If I can do that, how about you write your stories in return? How about we do an anthology? And there were quite a few enthusiastic ones, and it snowballed from there. We tried to find more writers, more women. Oh, it's just it's just wonderful to to open. And before you open it, it has this most beautiful piece of art on the cover. Yes, yeah, so Juliet Kita is one of the amazing artists there, and one of the few internationally renowned female artists. So when we started talking about the book and we of course didn't have a publisher we like so many uh, books from the pacific we were thinking maybe we can find a publisher but otherwise let's self-publish this but then covid happened another cyclone happened um i lost my job um, my team in vanuatu and fiji were uh, they had so much work to do to mop up the cyclone it was just terrifying so um with a Creative New Zealand grant for the editing phase, I also managed to commission the art uh, from Juliet Peter and then work on the manuscript and uh, together with all these writers and to get it to a point where we could submit it to a publisher and hopefully then avoid all the logistics involved in trying to get it printed and distributed across you know, the islands in Vanuatu. Yeah. Huge logistical exercise. I can imagine. So, were the surprises? Yes, I think um, uh, we have just had a launch in Port Vila, Vanuatu, with the New Zealand High Commissioner and Vera Molisa Trias, uh, Grace Mera Molisa's daughter, who is now also the first uh, New Vanuatu female Supreme Court judge in Vanuatu. Uh, on 25th of June, they launched it at the Vanuatu Cultural Centre, which is the Vanuatu National Museum, and uh, what they said was that there were so many who um, have been writing but never knew if they were good enough because there's no publishing industry. Um, if you never had feedback from editors, you wouldn't necessarily know, um, you know, if you are meeting the mark. And so drawing this kind of, um, uh, well, validation and and some assurance from other fellow writers that you are good enough to be um, putting your work out there and be read. And that was something that is the biggest surprise. So I had to actually, Rebecca and I had to um, talk to quite a lot and convince quite a lot of writers that their writing was good enough to contribute. It certainly and is. And Catherine is one. <laughs> yes, she is. And um, she's coming back again, isn't she? to Christchurch, no, is she? No, no, no. she was only supposed to be in Christchurch for one year. But oh, the first that's right. Year, mm. Yeah, was a COVID um, casualty and she had to go home. Um, no, the first year was it was the Christchurch mosque shooting. Yes, and, uh, and that's why I, I chose that poem. Yeah, um, and then the second year was 
COVID. So she was only supposed to have been on scholarship in New Zealand for one year. And she has been away from her family for two years. Yes. Oh, no, she won't want to come back. And <laughs> certainly not in July to Christchurch. Um, so where do you go from here? Because you're so engrossed in all this writing and supporting of other people uh, from afar, though you did spend a lot of time, I know, over there, but not at the moment. So have you got something else on the way? Well, uh, um, Rebecca and I have a collaborative poem uh, coming up in a climate change anthology, and so do Carol and I. And um, I think our collaboration will continue um, because um, it's quite hard to just give it up. And we have had so much joy from it. And we have done some joint readings um, two years ago. Uh, we were performing in Vanuatu and also at the Vanuatu Cultural Center. So I guess there might be something in the future. But uh, most of all, I'm looking forward to see more of the Vanuatu writers published in their own right now that they've kind of uh, had this uh, amazing collaborative experience and being so well received it will be amazing to see what they do but i do hope that i get to collaborate further because it has been so inspiring i'm sure you will Makala. so um been talking with Makala nyman one of the editors of sister stand up strong uh the first of its kind the first new antho- new writing anthology written by people from Vanuatu and some who live in other places uh, by three generations of women. It's uh, a must read. It's got poetry, fiction, essay, memoir and song. So uh, look for it. Published by Victoria University of Wellington Press. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Ever since 1971, when she and other students carried a coffin through Albert Park in Auckland to lament the state of women's rights, Sue Kedgley's name has been synonymous with second-wave feminism in this country. An activist was born that day, and her new memoir, 50 Years a Feminist, tracks a dynamic life through journalism and politics. I was particularly interested in your very independent childhood, Sue, because, you know, it's often a a key to how people um, evolve. I was particularly bemused by your mother making you, the the twins, go up 42 steps when you were barely a toddler. (laughs) That was a challenge. Yes, she's clearly she um, you know believed in help at making us independent because also at the age of three, we were put on a bus and um, went to a neighbouring suburb um, to go to kindergarten. You know, and and but it was so different in those days because our bus driver Tom, you know, we knew Tom and Tom dropped us off at the um, at when we. we at our home, and then years later, when we went to secondary school and had to catch, catch the bus, Tom was still the bus driver, and we still knew Tom and chatted to Tom. So uh, that's not something you can um, you can do these days. No, and you wouldn't ask your child to do it. You were no. independent, but you were also very quite self confident and self assured. Was that to do with being a twin, or 
is it to do with that um, that reliance on self back then? I haven't faintest idea. Uh, I do know that I was always fairly uh, rebellious and one could even say fearless. And and I recall when I was ten, a um, teacher threw a wooden duster at me to shut me up for must have been talking in class. And without a second's hesitation, I just picked it up and threw it back. So I don't know whether it was in my DNA or, you know, what it was, but it is true that um, I did emerge fairly independent. And when I look back now at myself at age 22 or 23 speaking to thousands of people, I am astonished uh, that I was able to do it. And um, it did seem to be quite fearless. Yes, you made that transition from a debutante and an aspiring beauty queen to being an ardent feminist in a very short period of time. Uh, I did, and it was um, quite extraordinary that, that, you know, I read this, picked up this book, read this book, and it was just like, the you know, the... Uh, scales fell from my eyes and I suddenly looked at the world and um, just realised, you know, how unfair and unjust it was for women. I mean, we when we grew up, and it's almost hard to remember because it's half a century ago, which makes one feel like an historic figure, but you have to remember at that stage, it was utterly a man's world. And in 1971, when we set up Auckland University Women's Liberation, there were two women in Parliament. Men controlled every single, you know, board, institution, um, bank, everything. You know, they basically ran New Zealand. And in fact, the world was quite clearly delineated. It was, you know, we grew up with the assumption that uh, men's role was to run the world and women's role was to run the home. And even those of us who were going to university were really going there to become an educated wife and perhaps have a dabble at teaching or nursing or being a a receptionist. Those were the occupations open to women or, or becoming a factory worker. But the assumption in those days was that once you had a child, you gave up work and um, for the most part, the assumption was you spent the rest of your life uh, at home. And, you know, there was no, there were no rape crisis centres there. No one even spoke about rape. Back then, abortion was illegal. There was no DPB, so women couldn't leave abusive or violent relationships. Uh, equal pay. Well, we were paid about um, 40 to 50% less than men. There were men's jobs advertised and women's jobs. Sex discrimination was perfectly legal. Uh, so it was, you know, such a different world. No such thing as, well, there were virtually no childcare centres and no such thing as uh, paid parental leave. So it was such a different world. And, you know, you almost have to, you know, it's hard to believe that that was what the world was like for women 50 years ago. Did that, I mean, this is probably naive of me to say, but were you surprised when you went back and put yourself in those times? I was, you know, because I was there in 1971 on the periphery in Auckland. I knew about you. I knew some of the people you were associated with. But, you know, reading the book, I I think to myself, gosh, (laughs) that was astonishing. Um, Well, well, the good thing is 
to realise how much things have changed for women as a result of feminism. And as I make the point in the book, that even, you know, that all, all women's lives have improved radically, really, over the last half century, thanks to the women's movement in large part, um, whether or not women identify as feminists. So that's why I felt it was important that... Um, you know, you know, all women learn about the history of feminism, particularly young women. That was one of the motivations for writing the book, because I, I when I, I've been having a lot of um, connection with young women in various women's groups I belong to, and I slowly realised that they knew nothing about women's liberation. They'd barely heard of it. These are even young activists who are leading the present wave of feminism. They barely knew about the second wave of feminism. So I thought it was really important to, uh, you know, to tell the story of the last 50 years of feminism through the eyes of my own activism, but particularly important for young women to know, you know, what the things that we take for granted, what we went through uh, to get these uh, changes in our world and to... to um, I mean, there's no question that, you know, women are better off uh, providing they're economically secure. Uh, for the most part, they're better off than at any time in our history. And, um, you know, we have more opportunities and possibilities than we could ever have imagined 50 years ago. Does it surprise you, though, that um, we're still capable of, of um you know, doubting ourselves and um, sabotaging our own best efforts. I mean, that seems to be something that comes up from time to time, doesn't it? That we're still very much so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, attitudes do take a very long time to change. Uh, you, you know, and so you know, it's not surprising, really. Almost when you look at almost every aspect of our world, when you look at trying to change attitudes, whether it's about women's role in society, whether it's about climate change, whether it's about the degradation of our rivers. It takes 20 or 30 years to really change people's attitudes. Well, that's what I've uh, decided based on my experience. It, it, is a, it is a long, hard slog to change attitudes. But also, I mean, we basically were brought up assuming that we were inferior to men um, you know our role was to to um, you know, marry a man and live through him and um, you know men we sort of it was almost assumed that men were somehow superior and naturally dominant over women so it does take a long time to shift those attitudes um, and yeah particularly those of us who grew up with those attitudes it takes a long time to change them so your call is really um, to remember our history, but it's also it's a challenge to men to, to um, as you say, pick up the pace. Well, my cha- my challenge. I'm hoping that the book will inspire young women to follow in our footsteps and continue on with um, you know the, the the feminist revolution because. There are. I mean, yes, we've solved many problems and there are so many opportunities and possibilities for women today. But there's also all sorts of new hazards for women. Cyberbullying, revenge porn, who'd ever heard of that? We've still got all this huge problems with sexual harassment, with sexual abuse and so on. So there is still 
a huge amount uh, that needs to be done. But you're also right that I do say in the book that while women's role and our lives have changed radically over the past uh, 50 years, men really haven't changed that much. Their lives are still rather similar to their fathers and uh, grandfathers. And I think now the challenge is for men to change because if one sex changes quite radically and the other stands still or doesn't change, then they, the, the sexes get out of sync and out of balance. And so I think really, you know, men have, it's time for men to reinvent the male role and, you know, sh- or shed all that sort of, you know, withholding of emotions, being tough, all that sort of stuff. And um, I think that is one of the challenges that, that um, confronts us now. Well, I just have to thank you for the book, Sue, because as somebody who is round about the same age as you, it was really interesting tracking your career, seeing what outstanding things you've done, that you've carried that um, that self-assured confidence and ability to you know to throw the duster back at people. Um, constantly through your life. So enjoy the... the. No, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say enjoy taking it quietly. But <laughs> yes, well, it's a huge relief to have it behind me, I can assure you, and to be, uh, you know, not, not having that sort of uh, discipline of having to write and so forth. So, yes, it is a huge relief to have it behind me. But it's, it's such a worthwhile book, and um, I hope... As you say, young feminists, young women, all women, um, read it and and um, take take courage from from what's gone before them, and uh, and are inspired to continue. That would be oh, my gosh, uh, yes. fervent hope. Yes. <laughs> And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.